Hi, you're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you, in some small way, will be blessed and transformed by this message. series about joy this week, uh, well for the next few weeks, and um, if you don't know who I am, I'm Elena, I'm part of the leadership team here at New Life, I'm also the kids pastor, so I have lots of quirky different things that I get up to and do, and I blame it on being the kids pastor. Um, So one of the things I wanted to start the service with, I am slightly nervous about, um, because if you don't join in, I just look like a wally. Um, but I feel like you have to be in, have been in church for a certain amount of time to know what's about to happen. So I'm just going to start <laughs> and hope that you join in. Um, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart today. Yay! <laughs> I feel better now that you all joined in. Um, That's good. So yes, we're doing a series about joy, so I thought I'd just make you all sing with me. That's fine. Um, But I needed to clear something up before I get started. So a few things you need to know about me. Number one, I do really, really love Jesus. Number two, I do love my husband. And number three, I haven't been to Bible college. Some of you are going, whoa, she's preaching from the Bible and she's not been to Bible college. No, didn't want to go, and you'll find out why in a minute. Um... I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Paul. Now, Paul is the guy that wrote the book that we're speaking from. And the reason for it is, I love him because he is a scholarly genius. He is like, I mean, I don't understand half the things he writes. So he's very, very clever. And he has changed the landscape for the modern church. He's like really cool, right? Okay, apparently. Um, But I have a bit of a hate relationship with him because I feel like a third wheel in my own marriage because of him. Uh Uh-huh, yep. Some of you know exactly why, because my husband loves Paul. Now, if you don't know who my husband is, it's the man that was up on stage a minute ago, Dan. And he loves Paul so much that he spent two and a half years doing a master's specifically on like one passage that Paul wrote because he's that committed to Paul. And he's about to embark on a six-year program, a PhD, studying, guess who? Paul. Uh-huh. And me and Dan can be sat having a conversation and uh, we'll just be talking about anything. And then he'll go, oh, yeah, no, you know, Paul, he said, um, <laughs> and Paul who? Pop, who's Paul? I don't, are you talking about the Bible, Paul? And he's like, yeah. He talks about his, him as if he's his mate, like as if they like go down to Costa together and just go and have like a chin wag. And I'm just like, right, okay. So he brings up Paul, especially in small group, and I just sit there and go, <sighs> like, you're kind of tainting my relationship with Paul here because I don't like him very much now. No, I'm joking. No, but genuinely, Dan loves Paul. And having said all that, I'm now going to read a passage that Paul wrote. So Philippians 2, 2 to 8, and it says this. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave himself up, uh, sorry, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's cheerful. But he's talking about joy. And one of the things that I've often had to kind of come to terms with is the meaning of what joy is. Joy isn't just feeling happy because happiness is fleeting. All of us will know that. All of us will experience that. Literally, you could have woken up this morning feeling happy and then something happened and the happiness has gone. Or you woke up feeling rubbish and then something good happened, like someone walked in and complimented you on your shoes. And you go, oh, I feel great now. I feel happy. And happiness is a feeling that comes and goes depending on the situations we find ourselves in or depending on how we feel inside. But joy, I would go as far as to say joy isn't really a feeling. Joy is a knowledge. Joy is a truth. Joy, in the biblical definition, is actually called inspired happiness. So it's not just an emotion that we feel, but it's something that we know. It's something that we are fully aware of a joy deep rooted in who Jesus Christ is and what he said he will do and has done. So knowing that joy isn't just a feeling means that no matter where we find ourselves or no matter what we face, we can still have joy. It doesn't always mean that you are going to be super smiley and happy. It doesn't always mean that you're going to be jumping up and down and bouncing around, but it does mean that I have a knowledge of the joy of the Lord. I have a knowledge of who he is in my life and what he has done. And not just for me, but for everyone, for the whole world, for everything. So this passage talks about us having an extension of our joy. So it doesn't just go on to talk about uh, being joyful. It talks about what that looks like, what that means for us as followers of Jesus. Making our joy complete. So we know Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, you love him, you follow him, you've got joy in him. But how do we make that joy complete? Well, Paul says this, to be like-minded, to be of one spirit, to... In this version, in the NLT, it says um, to, sorry, I've completely lost my place, Um, to be wholehearted with one another. Now, Paul isn't saying that we all have to think alike because, oh my goodness, imagine, (laughs) I probably shouldn't imagine, but imagine if we all thought like me, like there would be a shortage of any orange chocolate in the world because we would all be like, Yes, that's the best chocolate. And um, that that we would probably all be exhausted by the end of the day because we bounce around so much like uh, some sort of jack-in-a-box. And we might as well um, go, oh, yeah, I'll watch the footy when something good's happening, and then the rest of the time I don't care. That's me. That's how I think. And so I'll be watching the match tonight. Come on, England. But um, 
yeah, there we go, Celia. Celia is ready for the match tonight. But we are all meant to think differently. So how do we then be of one spirit? How do we all be like-minded if, if we all think differently? Because the likelihood is that you're not always going to agree with the people around you. The likelihood is that you are going to, at times, have a little bit of a disagreement. Are we allowed to disagree with people? Yes. Yes, we are. But we can disagree well. It doesn't have to end up in a uh, punching, dragging out, kicking sort of fight. It can just be a, oh, I don't agree with that. How do we move forward from this? So Paul tells us to be like-minded, but we don't have to all think the same. And we have strength in the fact that we don't all think the same. Our church is a better place because we don't all think the same. Because there are some of us that are, are completely people-focused, and that's all we think about. And you go, oh, that's really great, but nothing else would happen. We'd forget about the bills. We'd forget about the, the strategy. We'd forget, you know, the, the ceiling falls and we go, oh, it's all right. Just, just make sure people are okay and never get fixed. But then if we've got people that only think vision and strategy then the people sometimes go, oh, wait a minute, I need prayer because I'm in hospital, or I need someone to make me some meals because I've just had a baby. Or, and, and the two things, if, they're only, if we only ever think one way, we forget about working together. And so I think when Paul talks to us about being like-minded, he's talking to us about being like Jesus. He's talking to us and saying, hey, you don't all have to think the same. You don't all have to do the same. But listen, you all have to be like Jesus. And Jesus loved people above all. But he also had to make decisions. He also had to manage finances. He also had to make a living for himself. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30. How did he get by until then? Jesus isn't just one way of thinking, he t shows us that all of our quirks and differences can actually work together. And imagine a world where followers of Jesus actually supported one another and championed e each other, where we go, okay, I think differently to Joe. Me and Joe have different ways of thinking about the world. That means I turn my back on him, I don't support him, I don't love him. No, no. I go, that's great. You make this world a richer place. Let me cheer you on. Let me support you. Yes, there are going to be things where we have to challenge one another. There are going to be things where we have to go, hey, uh, maybe, maybe I was out of line on that, or maybe that wasn't right. But that doesn't stop us from loving one another and championing each other and supporting each other. And actually, through that, we show the world how Jesus-like we are. The world is very, very good at tearing each other apart. It's so easy. You know, use the example of the football. They were calling for Gareth South Southgate's resignation a few weeks ago. And now they're like, yes, he's the best in the world. Imagine if, as followers of Jesus, we showed an example of what it was to be united in Jesus. Imagine if we weren't fighting over what one particular passage says. Imagine if we weren't getting cross with the, the Baptist church down the road because they did something we wish we'd done first. Or, you know, imagine if we just all were one spirit. 
like-minded, loving each other and showing the world what Jesus really, really means when he tells us to love one another. Another thing that Paul tells us is to be humble. Now, I've got a quote for us from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He's a great writer. And I would say quite, it comes across as quite humble. <laughs> but he says this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble person, they will be what most people call humble nowadays. Probably all of you will think about them is that they seemed a really cheerful, intelligent person who took an interest in what you said to them. They will not be thinking about humility. In fact, they will not be thinking about themselves at all. Our world has kind of distorted what it means to be humble, in my humble opinion. Um, we are taught a lot to be, look after ourselves. Self-care, it's, it's a big thing. Look after yourself. Don't get worn out. Absolutely, I agree with that. But I think there has been a change in which we've tipped the balance and our self-care has actually become selfish. Where we think of ourselves more than we think of other people. And if we only ever think of ourselves, what happens to those that need Jesus? What happens to those who haven't heard of Jesus yet? Our world has put a massive emphasis on me, on the singular person. And that is countercultural to what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that it's about others. That there's a little anagram that I learned growing up in Sunday school, which was joy. Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Joy. And we used to say that all the time and then there was a point where I was like well if you don't put yourself first then how can you look after other people now genuinely if you are empty and you have nothing left to give you do have to refill you do have to look after yourself I'm not telling anybody here to go burning out but what I am saying is that sometimes we've put a huge emphasis on ourselves or maybe I should say, sometimes I've put a huge emphasis on myself. And other people need to be put first. See, if, if Jesus had gone, well, this is hard. If I put other people first, well, I'm going to get a bit tired and a bit sore and this is not going to be easy. He would never have died on a cross for us. It, the Bible tells us that Jesus humbled himself to death on a cross. He didn't fight his corner. He didn't stand and say, hey, hold on a minute. I'm the son of God. You shouldn't be doing this to me, or I haven't done anything wrong, or if you're going to kill me, why are you doing it in like, why are you killing me in a criminal way? Like, you, you've put me next to two robbers. Instead, Jesus said, there's a bigger picture here. This isn't about me. This is about humankind. This is about our world come into a chance where they can know Jesus, where sin can be taken once and for all. And so we need to find a balance. We need to be a people of humility who look after ourselves, who look after our families, but actually put others first. The, the only way that we are going to win other people for Jesus is by putting them first. The only way that we are going to see 
friends and family who we have prayed for for years and years and years come to know Jesus is by humbling ourselves. Maybe sometimes admitting that we've been a bit harsh or wrong or that we don't know everything. But the greatest example we have of how to be humble is Jesus. Jesus retreated and took time for himself. Jesus took time away to pray and to refill himself, took time with his friends, his disciples. But then he served, he gave, he loved, he watched over other people. Jesus gave of himself and humbled himself so that our world would be a better place. And that is something that we are challenged to do, to be joyful followers of Jesus, to be people that are overflowing with the joy of the Lord. Now, in Philippians 2.14, there's a little bit of a challenge to us, even more so. So we're, we're going, okay, we'll be like-minded, we'll, we'll serve other people, we'll be humble, we'll be good. And then Philippians 2.14 says this, and do it all without grumbling or arguing. What? You want me not to grumble about the fact that I have to go on litter pick again? You want me not to grumble about the fact that I have to get up at what time to go and serve at church this morning? Now, I'm being a little bit facetious there. But sometimes we go, yes, I will serve and I will give. But I'm going to have a bit of a moan about it. I didn't, I didn't like that song this morning. Oh, music was too loud for me. What do you mean, serve the homeless? They're a bit smelly. What do you mean, you want me to work with the kids? They're so loud and sticky. Yes, they are especially my little person. <laughs> what do you mean that I can't have a grumble and a moan? Well, actually, it takes away from the spirit of what we're doing. It, and, and it all, always comes down to a heart issue. What, what is the condition of our hearts? Are we serving because we genuinely love to and we want to and it's the right thing to do and therefore we do it with a, a skip in our step and we're full of joy and happiness? Or are we doing it because we know it's the right thing but we'd rather not? And so then it's easy to have a niggle and a moan and a complain about things that probably aren't that important. It's okay to feel frustrated sometimes. It's okay that you go, that's maybe not the way I would do it. That's fine, but how do we show our world that we're different if, for example, they walked into church on a Sunday morning and the hospitality team went, morning. Well, we're, they're serving. They're, they're there. They're doing what they've been asked to do. Morning. How would you feel? If you walked into a place and your initial reaction was, this person's doing their job, well done. They obviously don't want to be here. I now feel unwanted in this place. And I can use the church, our church, as, a, as an example because it's easy, but how does that relate to you in your own life? What does that look like? Oh, I don't, I don't really want to stand at the school gate and talk to that mum. She's loud and it draws attention to us and what will people think of me? I know it's the right thing to do. I should do it. I don't really want to do it. I, I am as guilty as anybody about grumbling. I 
quite easily can go, oh, well, it's not, not really what I wanted to do. This isn't how I imagined it. But it's not about me, and it never has been. It's about serving the kingdom of God. It's about showing people that they matter. It's about showing people the joy of the Lord and that this is somewhere they want to be, that they want to be followers of Jesus. I want to be an example of the goodness of God, not an example of the grumblings. I want to show people that being a follower of Jesus is the best thing that they could possibly choose to do. I don't want to be a great example of why they shouldn't. And sometimes it's so easy to be an example of they're the things we don't want instead of that's exactly what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a community that loves me and cares for me. I want to be part of a community that worships and has something bigger to live for than themselves. If, if we've learned anything over this last year of the pandemic, we have learned this, that people are looking for more. They need hope. They need something to look towards. And guess who is our biggest hope? It's Jesus Christ. We have hope in him. The whole reason Paul writes this book is because he's like, we have a hope in Jesus. We have an eternal life waiting for us in Jesus. We have nothing to fear in Jesus. So show the world that. Show the world the goodness. Well, I'm not saying we blindside them, they become Christians, and then they go, wait, life is still hard. Things still go wrong, people still die, things still hurt. Yes, but we still have joy. We still get to worship, we still get to go, I am not alone. I walk every day knowing that God is on my side, that he loves me, he's walked before me, he's walked behind me, and he's right next to me. I am not alone, and I can be joyful in that. We should look, sound, and behave differently to the rest of the world. We shouldn't try to fit into our world. Instead, we should have a kingdom culture a culture that follows the kingdom of God. What does that look like to us as new lifers? Someone walks in for the first time. It's great to see you. Oh, it's so nice to meet you this morning. Hi, my name's Elena. Anything we can do? Oh, hi, I've noticed that you've got a small person with you here this morning. Can I show them the way to NLK? What does that look like in our lives at home? Hey, do you need any help with your shopping? Like, I can see that you're struggling to carry those bags. I, hi, I just, I saw you on the swings and you looked really sad. Can I pray for you? Like, this week I had an opportunity to do that and I totally bottled it. Like, I'm just being honest with you. Yes, I'm a pastor at the church. Yes, I'm part of the leadership and I'm held to a higher account or something. But I get this stuff wrong all the time. I was at the park with Abigail and a young woman, she probably was about 17, 18, and she walked into the park and sat down on the swing just behind me and Abigail. And I saw her and she looked miserable. And I could see just, she just looked really uncomfortable and I, I felt this kind of stir in my heart of, you should go talk to her. I'm like, I'm with Abigail. I'm a bit busy right now. And then I look behind again, oh, she still looks really sad. 
she's swinging really hard on that swing. I can't go over right now. She might kick me. And then she sat on the swing just for a few minutes. And my heart was racing like crazy. I should talk to her. I should go and ask her if she's okay. What if she thinks I'm creepy? What if she thinks I'm weird? What if Abigail runs off? And I'm stood talking to her and then, and then and my brain goes into instant destruction mode of she'll run into the road and get knocked over and then it's all my fault because I was talking to someone about Jesus. Instead, I looked across at her, smiled, and then ignored her. She needed Jesus. She needed the joy that I have in my life, and I bottled it. So if you've done that, you're not alone. I'm trying to be better. I could have used Abigail as an excuse to talk to her, but I didn't. Our world needs Jesus. It needs us to be confident and courageous in the message that we have. It needs us to be people full of light and joy. So when we walk up to someone and say, hey, are you okay? They don't go, whoa, hold on a minute. They go, oh, uh, well, actually, you hear the stories that Chris Duffett from the big weekend, he, he would share of just walking up to people and suddenly they go, yeah, you can pray for me. But how many times did he have to walk up to someone and then say, nope, not today? How many times did he have to swallow his fear and go, I have something that these people need and just go for it? We are people who have been given a gift. We have been given the joy of the Lord. We have knowledge of where we're going, who he is, what he has done for us, what he will continue to do for us. We can list our blessings. We can list the good things that God has done for us. We can list those times we were on our own and, uh, or, or we were in the deepest, darkest moments and God was still there and our world needs it. Our world needs Jesus. It needs the joy of God. And some of you are looking at me going, she's crazy. She's smiling like a mad hatter. Oh, is it Cheshire Cat? That's the one. But it's because I know, I know a life without Jesus must be terrible because a life with Jesus is more than I could have ever asked. I have still faced tough times, but I've been able to stand in the knowledge that my God is good. I have still had times of anxiety and heartache, but I could still stand and say, my God is good. Now, to say that we are people that live in the joy of the Lord doesn't say that you won't face depression, anxiety, sadness, heartache, but it does mean to say that we have a God with us. He is good. <laughs> he has done good for us. We can live in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In my weakness as a human being, I remember that the joy of the Lord is my strength. 
And as I continue to try to be better at serving others, as we continue to try to be a better Christian community that accepts people and loves people from every walk of life, we remember this. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Then make me happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Let's have the same attitude as Jesus. Let's serve others. Let's put them first. Let's be people of humility. Think of the most humble person you know. And if it's you, it's not very humble. But you think of those people and they're attractive. And then you add Jesus into the mix. Bang. We've got it. Let's serve others. Let's support one another as a Christian community. Build one another up. Champion one another. Let's be humble and serve others. Let's do it all with a smile on our face and a skip in our step. The joy of the Lord is my... Yeah. So I'm going to invite the band back up. We're going to sing a song to end. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe this morning you just feel anything but joyful. Maybe you've, you just go, ah. You say all this, Elena, and you skip around the stage like a lunatic. But... Like, you have no idea what is going on. You are absolutely right. But the joy of the Lord can still be your strength. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. The joy of the Lord can still be your strength. You can still have joy and exuberance in Him. Even if your circumstances around you cause you to, to cry or to be sad or to curl up in bed for a few hours those things are okay it doesn't take away from the fact that we have strength in God it doesn't take away from the fact that he is our joy and our goodness and our saviour and our lord and he loves us and I genuinely honestly believe that life with God is far better than any other life we could forge for ourselves I don't even want to try it joy of the Lord is my strength he's your strength and so this morning I'm going to pray for us I'm going to pray for God's joy just to rest upon you I'm going to pray that this morning you would just feel something of his joy his his love and his peace upon your life this morning his inspired happiness what a beautiful little phrase joy of the Lord is inspired happiness because I know, I know, I know, I know what God has done for me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for my church family. Thank you for each person here and all that they represent. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our joy, that we can celebrate, we can worship, we can lift our hands, we can walk in the knowledge that you are good. And Lord God, right now, I just pray for those that find themselves in difficult circumstances, that they would find your joy amidst it. 
they would find your strength. They would know that you are with them. They would have courage and, Lord Jesus, a tender heart as well. As I'm praying, I just feel God telling us we need to be people of tenderness. As we serve others, as we maybe have been hurt as we've given out before, don't let that harden your heart and take away joy that you know God has given you. Instead, be a people of tenderness. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us no matter where we find ourselves and that we can celebrate and rejoice in you because you are good. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.